Kristen, we're going to talk about a movie this week called The Wedding Ringer. Yes, we are. Kevin Hart, Josh Gad. Kevin Hart plays a best man for hire. Josh Gad is the friendless guy who hires him. And there's a scene in this film where Kevin Hart is giving Josh Gad a sales pitch. And he says, you know, for a man, the average number of a man's close friends has gone down from three to two since 1985. (laughs) And I remember thinking, I don't know if the screenwriter looked that up and actually found some kind of USC Annenberg study that actually proved that or if he just made it up out of out of whole cloth and just invented it. But something about that little statistic, whether it's true or not, really struck me. And I thought it seems really plausible, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. And I would say that, I mean, I think females and males are so different in this realm or at least yes. me as a female and the other female friends I have, we still try to juggle anywhere from half a dozen close friends to maybe all the way up to 20 close friends, like in our calendar. Well, I have like maybe 20 friends in rotation I try to fit in every month or every, like within within like a 90-day cycle, I try to fit in these certain numbers of friends. Ah. So, and then I have my male friends, and I don't know if it's just because we're old now, and maybe it would have been different if we were back in college, but a lot of my dude friends, they're like, so you try to juggle between a dozen and 20 people all the time. I try to juggle one. Yeah, I have two. In addition to my wife, I have my buddy, and yeah. that's it. That's all I juggle. Yeah. And, um, and again, I don't know if it's because we're like in our 40s now or if it's because – You know, I mean I have a ton of friends from college, but they're all in different parts of the country, so I never see those guys. You know, I've got at least a good half dozen friends or so that, are, that I would say are truly, truly close friends, will always be my best friends. But I never see them. I haven't seen some of them in like seven years. Um, wow! Yeah, seven I mean, years. You know, they're just you know they're in California. They're 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 all they're mostly in California. But um, you know, they're kind of all over the place. And I only in New York here. I would say I have two close friends, and that's pretty much it that I see on a regular basis. And even then, you know, we all we all got kids. We all got wives. There's only so much you can do. But uh, I liked that. I liked that little factoid, whether it's true or not, and it it stuck with me while we were watching The Wedding Ringer. Um, So we'll talk about that when we get to The Wedding Ringer, and we'll see whether or not that film had anything to say to us. Yeah, and we're also going to be talking about Paddington, the adaptation of the children's books, Black Hat, for all you people who love hacker movies, and Still Alice, starring Julianne Moore, who just got an Oscar nod yesterday. That's right. Uh, But before we do that, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Rafer Guzman, movie critic for Newsday. And I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture producer for The Takeaway, and this is Movie Date. talking about something that you love to talk about because you're a dad, you have two boys, you love children's movies. Boy, do I ever. And by that, I mean you hate children's movies because <laughs> so many of them are horrible. But I go in every time hoping I'll be surprised, <laughs> wanting to love it. This will be the movie that changes my mind about children's movies. Exactly. So tell us about Paddington. Well, uh, everyone probably is somewhat, at least somewhat familiar with uh, the character of Paddington. He's a British creation by Michael Bond. The first book came out, I think, in the 50s, maybe 58 or so. Uh, He's a little bear from darkest Peru. He wears a red hat, a little blue duffel coat. He arrives at Paddington Station, which is how he gets his name. He's on a visit to London, and he's taken in by the Brown family. And in the book, you know, it's basically just a series of disasters. The book is a little bit like the Curious George books. You know, it's just 
Paddington, little small animal, getting into trouble, floundering around, making a mess of things, and endearing himself to the Brown family. In this movie, though, they also have a bad guy thrown in, played by Nicole Kidman. Yes. The cast is live action. Paddington himself is computer animated with the voice of Ben Wishaw. Here's a clip. All I have left is my aunt. And where's she? Darkest Peru, in the home for retired bears. Yeah, of course she is. How did you get here? I stowed away in a lifeboat. Cool. And ate marmalade. Did you know bears like marmalade? I didn't even know bears could talk. Oh, well, I'm a very rare bear. There aren't many of us left. I'm just going to put this out there right now. Not enough excitement. Not enough excitement. No, no. We have this adorable bear and this very nice family, and they do things like accidentally overfill the bathtub. Yeah. And then there's Nicole Kidman, who's kind of on their tail, but not really doing anything that exciting. Well, I don't know about that. Come on. Paddington's not really doing anything that exciting. I just felt that it was so sweet and so pleasant and so slow-moving and Mm. so British and and not particularly fun. Really? No kidding. Oh, yeah, I, well, I, 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 it was fine. I just, I, I didn't feel like, wow, this is the kids' movie that's going to change things. Well, you know, as I was saying, the book is really just a series of misadventures, small, small scale misadventures. You know, home disasters, <laughs> domestic, domestic disasters. Like you were saying, the bathtub scene—that's kind of an, an iconic scene from the book. It's one of the first things that happens when they bring Paddington home. Um, it's eighty-nine minutes long. And so even even at that short running time, it feels a little bit overstretched, I would say, because there's just – like you're saying, there's not that much happening. I think Nicole Kidman is really great. I think she's funny. And, the, and I, I like the fact that her villain is a crazed taxidermist who wants to stuff Paddington, which is – it's funny. Um, and I like that she's all kind of sexed out and she's dressed up in like oh, yeah. go-go boots and a stripper wig. Mm-hmm. She's like something out of the Avengers, the old Avengers, I mean. Um, I like that. The cast is really good. Sally Hawkins, Hugh Bonneville, uh, they're all really charming. It does have a lot of that British charm to it, which I like. Paddington is always a very well-mannered bear. He always doffs his hats to strangers. Um, I think the Paddington character looks a little odd. Yes, and I I didn't want to say anything because I know I'm coming in with my own prejudice here. I don't like this style of animation. I'm not a big fan of 3D animation. Yeah, it's computer animated, yeah. Yeah, and I'm not a big fan of that mixed with live action. I I, I just kept on thinking, oh, I kind of miss Pete's Dragon. I kind of miss Mary Poppins. I kind of miss like (laughs) that, you know, cartoon, hand-drawn animation mixed with live action. That I'm, I'm on board with, and then I thought... I'm just old and stodgy. Maybe kids would love this. I don't know. You know, uh, my kids saw it. My kids liked it fine. I don't think they were bowled over. Um, and, you know, I think young children aren't going to quibble with this kind of stuff. But I do feel that Paddington falls into that unca- uncanny valley just a tiny bit. Mm. You know, he's a little cartoony, but then his the, the inside of his mouth is a very realistic pink. Maybe and his, too realistic. You know what I mean? And his yeah. eyes are a little too moist. So that, that kind of bugged me <laughs> a little bit. But my, my children didn't seem to mind. And I would say for a kid's movie, it's perfectly fine painless at 89 minutes. And if you're a parent and you're looking for a, a decently smart children's film, I think this is the one. I think it's a, a, a perfectly fine kid date. So I'd say Paddington is probably going to be fine for the kids. But me as an adult, I was just bored. Yeah. I wasn't I, offended. I wasn't excited. So Paddington, I don't know if that makes a good date, though. Just a neutral date for you. Oh, gosh. This I, is, this is I, not really your movie, though, It's Kristen. just not my movie. No, no, no. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to a movie called Black Hat. 
Now, this movie is about the hacking world, and black hat's actually a term used by hackers. Correct. And in this movie, we have one of the Hemsworth brothers. This time we have Chris Hemsworth, I believe. Last year we had Liam Hemsworth doing a similar movie only with phones and cell phone technology. Right. Paranoia, right? Yes, yes. that's okay. right. But I missed the screening. Tell, tell us about it, Rafer. Well, um, what excites me about this is not so much Chris Hemsworth. He's Thor, of course. Um, what excites me about this film is that it's the return of Michael Mann, who I think is one of the great uh, thriller action directors of the 1980s. Uh, Thief, Manhunter, Heat. Uh, these are all great movies. He's super stylish director, mood lighting. He's great with an action scene. Michael Mann can do an action scene that will really make you feel like you've been punched in the kidneys. He is really good at that. So I was really excited. Um, The plot is basically Chris Hemsworth is a hacker. He's a a former MIT guy turned criminal. He's in prison now, stewing away in some federal penitentiary somewhere. Uh, His former classmate, a guy named Chen, is going to spring him from prison. Chen is now a high-ranking military guy in China's anti-terrorist cyber squad or something. He's going to spring Chris Hemsworth. Together, they're going to go out and find this black hat hacker who has caused a nuclear meltdown. He's messing around with the U.S. stock market. And what will he do next? They're going to chase him down. Here's a clip. Okay, so how's it work? You give NSA the data, they run it what? No, they have a remote login. We run it. You're not thinking. Come on, they got the keys to the kingdom. Our guy's address, maybe. Whatever he's cooking up next is right in there. Only we can't read it. That's the voice of Viola Davis there. She plays an FBI, hard-nosed FBI agent. And John Ortiz is also in this movie. Um, I think we probably wouldn't be talking that much about this movie if it weren't for the rather fortuitous headlines that have just been Mm. coming around Sony Pictures, the U.S. Central Command uh, Twitter feed, which I thought was kind of embarrassing and funny in a, in a way. Especially because that was like the same day that the president was giving a speech on God, <laughs> cybersecurity. Was, it's like, that was, wow, well-timed. Yeah, that was well pretty done. That was pretty embarrassing and bad. Um, anyway, so I think, you know, you there's some potential here for, um, you know, to go in and you might think you're seeing a topical thriller. Uh, you're not. This is This is just a pretty goofy kind of, it's no different from something like, let's say, Jack Ryan, or um, I don't know what. What was the Tom Cruise one? The one he played the, the Jack Report? Reacher. Oh, Jack Reacher. Um, yeah, it's it's, oh, it's. Although I actually liked Jack Reacher, as you know. Yeah, I know that was a mistake on your part, Kristen. <laughs> that was a mistake on your part. Okay, but uh, here's the problem. It's just one of these goofy thrillers. We're going to be in Hong Kong. We're going to be in Malaysia. We're in Indonesia. We got to travel around the globe. Oh no, a clue has led me to this guy. He's dead. Now I got to go to the next the next guy. Go into that nuclear plant. And get that little piece of, you know, that little piece of circuitry that will lead us to the next clue. And um, anyway, the whole thing is very silly. Michael Mann, the, when, the, when the people are beating each other up on screen, which is not often enough, the film really crackles. You've got some shootout scenes and some action scenes that are just fantastic. And the rest of it is really goofy, flat boring. There's a dumb romance. It doesn't make any sense. The ending is anticlimactic. And it's, I feel like it's a missed opportunity, especially given, you know, I mean, obviously they couldn't have planned this, but it's a missed opportunity to say something larger about, you know, cyber terrorism in the modern age and privacy rights and the global implications of all this kind of stuff. But the film is not interested in that. It just wants to shoot in various, you know, hotspots around the country and, you know, have people say Cody things to each other, you know, <laughs> get that root drive. 
something, <laughs> whatever, you know. So I have to say, being a big Michael Mann fan, um, I was pretty disappointed. Not not a great date. So I don't need to go see Black Hat. I don't, th- I don't think you're going to see Black Hat, Kristen. All right. Well, what about Still Alice? This is completely switching gears. This is the new movie starring Julianne Moore. She just got this Oscar nod yesterday for playing a woman who's a brilliant linguist who finds herself very quickly deteriorating her faculties, her ability to remember words. She's only 50 years old in the film. She's happily married to um, her husband, is played by Alec Baldwin. That's right. She's got three grown children. Two of the children um, are played by Kristen Stewart of Twilight fame. Kate Bosworth also has a son in the movie. And we watch and are along for the journey as she goes from giving lectures to giant halls of people who want to hear what she has to say about language to a much worse place where she can't find the way to her own bathroom in her house. Here's a clip. Like, what does it actually feel like? Mm, Well, I've always been so defined by my intellect, my language, my articulation, and now sometimes I can see the words hanging in front of me and I can't reach them and I don't know who I am and and I don't know what I'm going to lose next. Sounds horrible. Thanks for asking. So, Kristen, what did you think of this film? So, Still Alice is, I'm going to quote something you said, Rafer. It it could be called a disease of the week sort of movie. Yeah. It, It could be. But I would say that Julianne Moore is so good in it. She is so effective. She's so relatable. And you really get inside her thinking and how things are deteriorating, not as an outsider, but you're actually inside through her eyes, feeling all of this stuff. And afterward, I thought, I think I have really onset Alzheimer's. I think I'm just like still Alice. I think I have really onset Alzheimer's. I'm like, yesterday, I couldn't remember the word for something. And then, <laughs> yeah, and I just thought she was so good in this. And We've already done this entire podcast. Did you know that? Hold on. And you are? Where am <laughs> oh, I? Kristen. What's going on? What's all this right. machine in front of me with all the knobs on it? Oh, I don't think you've got early onset Alzheimer's. <laughs> um, and and, and on, a, on a more serious note, uh, I agree with you. I think um, the movie really makes you feel what it would be like uh, to oh, yeah. be in that situation. It, it, it really makes you understand. How discombobulating everything. How, how... Exactly. Just how disoriented you would be um, and how I, I think how frustrated and how desperate um, and how angry I think you would be at all this as well. Um, And uh, also, uh, there's a little twist in here where it turns out that this thing could be genetic, this uh, early onset Alzheimer's, that perhaps um, she's going to pass this on. And that's that's a really frightening notion and uh, really, really, really well handled, I think, in the film. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. I think um, if it weren't for Julianne Moore's performance, which is so fantastic, the film would feel a little bit straight down the middle, a, a, a little predictable. Um, you know, there's kind of only so many places a story like this can go. Um, but I think it's really well handled. And again, her performance is just terrific. It's terrific. And I would say still, Alice, I, I wouldn't call it a, oh, this is a fun date, but it's such a good date, such a well-acted date. And so I would highly recommend still, Alice. And it's not, I don't find the movie depressing. I don't feel like you come out of the film, it doesn't seem like a downer to me. Um, I actually feel that it has a, a note of 
some kind of note of optimism and 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 hope and at least love in it that I think mm. saves oh, definitely. it. Definitely, you know what I mean. Yeah, um, and I think that's the overall message in the end. Yeah, is, is the love. Yeah, so I like Still Alice too. I would say this is a, a, a really a really good a really good date, and I think a well deserved Oscar nod for Julianne Moore. So let's move on to a movie that probably won't get too many Oscar nods, <laughs> The Wedding Ringer. So this is the week's big release. Uh, this is the movie with Josh Gad, Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart plays a best man for hire. Josh Gad is a friendless groom. He's terrified. He's marrying what seems to be the girl of his dreams, played by Kaylee Cuoco Sweeting. Um, we know that she may not really be the girl of his dreams, but he thinks she is. And he's got to show up with a, not just a best man, but a bunch of friends. Here's a clip. What exactly do you do? I provide best man services for guys who lack in such areas. So I'm not alone? Alone? No. I'm in a very profitable business because of guys like you. How many weddings do you think were in the U.S. last year? 2.4 million. million. There were 2.4 million rooms. Do you think that each one of them has someone to be their best man? So, Kristen, you and I both went into a, a Wednesday night screening of this film. And yes. Wednesday night screening always means that you're about to see a movie that's going to be a bit of a dog. The only worst thing is a Thursday night screening. Is a Thursday night screening or no screening. <laughs> or no screening. When the studio says, oh, actually, we're not going to screen this movie, we know it's bad. When that's it's what, Thursday yes. night, everybody who has a deadline for the following day's paper doesn't even have time to write their right, exactly. Thursday night. Right, exactly. Exactly. So Very clever. And Wednesday night's cutting it close. So Right. And, and we already saw the trailers and didn't really think much of the trailers. So we went in with really low expectations, Indeed. both you and I did. But I'm just going to say it right up front here. I was very pleasantly surprised. I'm glad to hear that. I thought, Tell me why. I thought that there was a lot of heart to this movie. The chemistry between Josh Gad and Kevin Hart is terrific. Uh, Kevin Hart, who I frequently think falls into the hyperactive, crazy, frenetic, irritating guy. Yeah, you're not a fan. He didn't do any of that in this movie. He actually was just a really solid friend who was a good businessman, who was flawed, who uh, who, who knew how to do his job. He knew how to give the best man toast at a wedding. Right. He knew how to dance like crazy at the wedding. He knew how to make a guy feel confident and happy and show up at his own wedding being on the top of his game. He knew how to do all of those things, and it's fun to watch him do that. And the, you know, how the sausage is made, the tutorials, the behind-the-scenes stuff. This yes. is what you have to do. And it's really fun to watch that. And it's also just fun to watch the relationship between him and Josh Gad, how they play off of each other. Exactly. I will say that there are a couple of moments of overly violent, ridiculous humor that I could have done without. One with somebody being set on fire and another related yes. to a dog. I forgot about the fire scene. That's right. That's Cloris um, Leachman yes. in that fire scene. Yes. If it weren't for the fire scene and the dog scene, I think I would have, you know, said this is this is really, really, really great. Instead, I'm saying it's very good. But the, those two scenes really I didn't enjoy at all. It's not uh, – it wasn't really the, the, the gross-out sort of raunchy, violent humor that turned me off, although I'm not a huge fan of that stuff. My, my one problem with the movie is that it frequently ignores its own logic just for the sake of a laugh. So in other words, you'll get Kevin Hart, who has all these, like you were saying, all these rules about, you know, he's about to go into a, you know, a wedding situation, meet people's families as a fake character with a, with a fake backstory. So there are going to be things that he knows about North Dakota, where he's supposedly from. And then, of course, you know, it turns out that someone at the family is from North Dakota. So now he's in trouble. So he has all these ways of wriggling out of things, of playing it safe, of not screwing anything up. But then 
just because they don't know what to do with a scene, Kevin Hart will just break those rules, start telling dirty jokes at the table, mm. do something outrageous. And, you know, or similarly, like you were saying about dancing at the wedding, it turns out that Josh Gad's character is a phenomenal dancer, which doesn't make any sense. He's a shy, nerdy guy with no friends. Why would he be a phenomenal dancer? His mom made him take dance lessons for 12 years. It, he says that. It makes no sense as, <laughs> as his character, but, of course, it gives him and Kevin Hart a chance to do these very funny dance scenes. The dance scenes are so good. The dance scene is great. It's totally funny, but it breaks the, it breaks the logic of the film, and it, and it takes me out of the film, and it makes me realize I'm watching a goofy comedy where two actors are screwing around instead of I'm watching two characters get to know each other. Do you know what I'm saying? It's a fine point, but I think it's important. I think that's what keeps the film from becoming really great, but I did think that it was a lot of fun. I do think those guys are really good together. There's some very funny scenes. And uh, I, I agree. It's got a real sensitive side. And mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed that about it. So I thought The Wedding Ringer was a pretty good date. I thought so, too. I thought it was a pretty good date. I Surprise. actually brought a date with it. Yeah. That's right. You did. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You did, Kristen. I was glad to meet your date. Oh, I was glad to have you meet him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Surprise, surprise. We like The Wedding Ringer. Yes. What do you know? Well done. Well, stay with us. In addition to reviewing this week's releases, this week's podcast also includes a look at these Oscar nominations that just came out yesterday. Oh, them Oscars. Oh, we're we're going to look at what happened with these nods. You know, the snubs, the surprises, the whole deal. We'll do all of that. Plus, as always, there's trivia after the break. Stay with us. I'm Rafer Guzman. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. And this is Movie Date. And a reminder to all listeners, join us on Facebook.com slash Movie Date Podcast. You know, we have all sorts of fun stuff there, pictures, news. And this week, we also have a link to all the movies you can watch at home that have Oscar nominations. So a lot of the nominations came out months ago and are now available online on VOD and so on. So a lot of what we're going to talk about right now with these Oscar nods, you're going to be able to find them online, go to facebook.com slash podcast. So let's walk through this Oscar nomination situation, Rafer. Well, all right. So to begin with, Birdman has got the most nominations along with Grand Budapest Hotel. Kind of a big surprise there for WTF, me. WTF, hello. Yeah, I did not Grand expect Budapest, it. Grand Budapest, which both you and I thought was one of the better Wes Anderson movies to come out in yes. a few years. We both thought of his movies recently, a pretty good one, but I don't think either you or I ever thought it was great. I certainly would not have expected uh, nine nominations. Nine no. for the Grand Budapest Hotel, nine for Birdman leading the pack. Um, we should say the Grand Budapest Hotel is being nominated mostly in behind-the-scenes categories. But Costume best design. Also, well, but And also Best Picture and, I think, um, Best Director. Um, so those are big. And, you know, same with Birdman, uh, Best Picture and Best Director, along with Michael Keaton for Lead Actor. Um, you know, great showing for those two. So the rest of the uh, the major films would break down this way. The Imitation Game follows your favorite, Kristen. Mm, I liked that Imitation Game. Yes, I, I know. you loved it. I know you did. I know you did. Morton Tilden has got a uh, directing nomination for that. And, of course, Benedict Cumberbatch as mm. uh, lead actor yeah. for playing Alan Turing. Six nominations for Boyhood. Which I thought Boyhood was going to lead the nominations, actually. I, I was not surprised that Boyhood did not lead the nominations. I don't think there are enough other categories for it to be nominated. And you've got, you've got 
not know sort of wardrobe, makeup possibilities, all those mm, kinds of things. True. All those things you need to really get that groundswell of nominations. Um, but it's in it's in the big the two big categories, which is film and director for mm-hmm. sure. Um, and I think both of those are obviously going to go to Boyhood. Um, also, six nominations for American Sniper, a film what the? you did not care for, <laughs> Kristen. <laughs> That's up for best film, and it's also up for best actor for Bradley Cooper. Uh, here's the biggest surprise to me: five nominations, five nominations, including best picture for Whiplash. Which I am so excited about. You know, I loved that movie. Damien Chazelle, second time loved filmmaker, not yet movie. thirty, in the best picture running. By the way. Only eight titles. They did, they only found room for eight titles in the best picture yeah, category this year. They could have gone all the way up to ten, right? No, of course they could. Uh, no Unbroken. I mean, he edged. No Foxcatcher. No Foxcatcher. I mean, this guy Whiplash has edged out Angelina Jolie and Bennett Miller. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Uh, so that's great. Um, Foxcatcher did get five nominations as well, and so did, somewhat surprisingly, Interstellar, five nominations. Yeah, but those again, are mostly technical for again, Interstellar. Again, you know, sound and things like yeah. that, right. Um, uh, curious that it got all that, that it got nominated for sound since um, that was a big point of contention for that film that people complained the music was so loud they couldn't hear the dialogue. And Christopher <laughs> Nolan had to say, I want it that way. There were, actually an, there were actually theaters that had to post signs outside saying, yes, our sound is functioning properly. This is a Christopher Nolan film. Um, so what would you say, uh, besides, from, besides Whiplash, Kristen, what do you think are the other big surprises this year? Well, one of the things I was really surprised by, you know, in the acting category... Robert Duvall for supporting actor for the judge. Of course, the judge you were was surprised. So mediocre. Yeah, was, the judge is such a mediocre movie. Possibly a bad movie. It's a bad movie. Okay, it's a bad movie. And yes, it's obviously a legacy nomination. He's eighty-four years old. He's the oldest actor to get nominated in this category ever. Older than Christopher Plummer, even you Absolutely. say. Absolutely, he's eighty-four right now. Okay. Yeah. All right. And Christopher Plummer was in his early thirties back when he was nominated. Early eighties. So. Or yes, that's what I meant to say. <laughs> Early 30s. Early 80s. None of us remember when Christopher Plummer was in his early 30s. No, he was actually, he was actually born in 1929. Let's just make that clear. Okay. He was born in 1929. Well, there you go. I'm not, personally, I'm not surprised by Robert Duvall's nomination. Who else are you going to nominate in this category? Oh, God, anybody. The movie's not good. There, there were other options. But, you know, the other things I was surprised by, there were a few different surprises here, but... I, I was kind of surprised by some of the actress nominations. Too. Rosamund Pike. Yes, for Gone Girl, which you and I loved her in this movie. I loved her in her. However, I'm not sure I would have nominated her for Best Actress. Much yeah. as I love Rosamund Pike, I, I'm just not sure that was a that was a Oscar Oscar nomination role. That's yeah. all. And you know, I know you disagree with me on this. I also didn't think Reese Witherspoon was in an Oscar-nominated role in oh, Wild. But I, oh, but I knew she was going to get that nomination. But it just doesn't feel like an Oscar-winning role. You're backpacking uh, and you're walking. I, I just, no, I, I understand that. She, you know, she's a she's a huge star. She's got a lot of power in the industry. It's a it was her, the movie was her baby. Yeah. It's a it's a female-led, female-written, you know, fact-based film. Um, you know about a. Spiritual journey, blah, blah, blah. And even though I thought the film was kind of okay, um, I, I knew, again, that she was going to get nominated for that. Um, so that, that, did not, that did not surprise me. Marion Cotillard surprised me. Oh, I think that surprised a lot of people. because Foreign you know, language film, French language film, yeah, and there the she is. this is the second time that's happened to her because for Mavie and Rose, she was also... Ah, uh, yeah. So, and, so I think a lot of people out there, like you, Rafer, are thinking, this already happened to her once. It's not going to happen again. 
foreign language film, Marion Cotillard. Yep, just happened again. Well, and Ma Vie en Rose was a was a much bigger film, a much much more widely seen film than Two Days One Night. I mean, yeah. no no one's seen that film. No, um, I haven't. I loved it. Yeah, but I'm just saying. I, I you know, it's not. Mavia and Rose had a, had a much more box office traction, is yeah. all I'm saying, at the time. People knew what that movie was, and people knew that Marilyn, Marion Cotillard was in it. And I think this film is going to be another one of those things where people are, are saying, huh, what movie? Uh, so, you know, who knows? But let's talk about snubs. Oh, boy. Because there's there kind of a lot. There are a lot of snubs. The first one I'm sure you're upset about is you loved the Lego movie. Yeah, the Lego movie, not nominated... <laughs> In the in the best animated feature category, which I I just I don't I don't get that. I I was glad to see that it was nominated for best song for Everything Is Awesome. Which is ha- such a hilarious, ridiculous song. It's song a great is, song it's, too. It's, it's awesome. It's an awesome, <laughs> awesome song. Um, everything is awesome. It, God, it's just everything oh, it's so good. Awesome. It's yeah. like. Well, anyway, but I was so I was glad to see that, but I was just baffled by the fact that it didn't show up in the best animated feature category. In fact, when the announcements were going on and they read out, you know, they always saved the best for last. When they read out the best animated feature category and Lego Movie was not in it, my mind said, "Ah, it's up for best picture." Oh, Rafer. And then it got to best picture and I just <laughs> thought, "Nope." That was a dumb idea. I love that you thought it was up for Best Picture. I know. Poor it's happened a few times with animated films, like Beauty and the Beast Beauty was nominated Beast, right. for Best Picture. Right. I think Picture. that's the only one, or have, I think that's been the only one. Oh, Beauty was it? Beast. I thought there was one other. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Okay. But anyway, okay, so there's that. What so else? I was so surprised about Selma. Can, can I just that say? What? That what? It, it's in the Best Picture category. No, but David Aiello? Why wasn't she oh. nominated for Best Actor? Uh, that's a little surprising, too. Why wasn't too, the director, yes. Ava DuVernay, why wasn't she nominated for Best Director? This movie only got two nods and one for Best Picture, which is great. Yes. It deserves that. Uh, and then the other one for Song. Yeah, well, the song sucks. It's I'm, a horrible I'm, song. I'm sorry to say that. Yeah. The song sucks. And I'm, I'm going to make... John Legend. And, and Common. And Common. Yeah. yeah. But that's just not... No. Beautiful speech by Common at the Golden Globes, by the way. Yeah. Very good. But that doesn't make up for the fact that the song's not good. But, and I have news for you. That's what's going to win. Uh, well, you know it's going to. You know it. You know that song is going to win. Do you think they're just throwing it a bone because they're yes. like, "Yes, we should have nominated yes. you for more things, and we didn't nominate you for more things, so we'll give you the song." Mark my words. That's uh, the Oscar-winning song. Okay. All right. Uh, another thing, I just have to point out: there are no actors of color nominated this year for the first time since 1999, and none of the Best Picture nominees are women stories. That is a little surprising. Which is just, really, where are all the women and people of color? And I know it sounds like I'm beating a dead horse, movie daters. You hear me say this all the time, but women buy 55% of movie tickets in America. Yep. People of color make up more than 1% of America. Yep. And not just you and me, Rafer. Not just you and me. But... Hispanics are the biggest moviegoers of all. Hispanics you know, see more movies than anyone. Yeah. Asian Americans were the fastest growing minority group in America. Where are we? Why aren't we in any of these things? It's a so, good point. It's a good it's, point. It's not necessarily the Oscars' fault, though. That That's maybe a bigger industry issue that's beyond the I Oscars. I mean, so. and as we all, as we remember from a couple years ago or so, right, when we finally found out what the demographics were of the uh, Oscar voters, they were they were very old and very white yes. and very male. Yes. Bunch so, of old white men. There you go. Yeah. Um, a couple of other snubs I just have to point out. Yeah. I thought that Jennifer Aniston and Amy Adams deserved nods this year, and I was really surprised. And I know Jennifer Aniston, I'm not the biggest Jennifer Aniston fan. I think she's adorable, and she does yeah. fine at comedies. But she really blew my mind in Cake. We'll talk more about that next week when the movie yes. goes into real release. But I just, 
she was so good in Cake, and I, I'm surprised she didn't get a nod in Amy Adams. I know you just loved in Big Eyes. I was not surprised by Jennifer Aniston's absence in that category. It's that movie has not been widely seen. Um, it has not gotten a huge amount of buzz. I feel like reviews in general have been a little mixed on that, even though everyone's been very surprised by Aniston's performance. And so I, I always felt that even when she showed up in the Golden Globes category, I always felt that she was a long shot for the Oscar nomination. But I am surprised by Amy Adams. Ba- basically, it seems like like Rosamund Pike, for some reason, took the Amy Adams slot in that in that category. I, I would have totally expected Amy Adams to be in that category, and she's not. So that was that was a little odd. Um, but you're right. You're right about David Oyelowo. He should have been in the uh, in the acting category. He really should have. I think um, that's true. Should we make a couple of predictions? Do it. All right. So let's talk about. Just the lead ones. Let's talk about lead actor, lead actress, and film. How sure. does that sound? Sure. So for lead actress, our nominees are Marion Cotillard for Two Days, One Night, Felicity Jones for The Theory of Everything, Julianne Moore for Still Alice, Rosamund Pike for Gone Girl, and Reese Witherspoon for Wild. Who do you think is going to win this, Rafer? Julianne we- Moore. Hands oh, down. She won it for uh, the Golden Globes. Yep. She deserved it. I, I agree with you. I think yeah. she's going to get it, and I think she deserves to get it. Yeah, I think I think that's it's just it's such a good performance. Everyone else is really good. I suppose you could make a case for Marion Cotillard since she's in this category, and that shows that says to me that people thought enough. That says to me that people must have thought so much about her performance that they put her in this category. Do you know what I'm saying? I I disagree with you. I think that if it's going to go to someone else, it will be Felicity Jones, actually. Oh, really? She is so good in the theory of everything as Jane Wilde. She carries that movie. She She does. She's really outstanding in there. I'm saying it's, you know, it's a moot point. It's Julianne Moore. (laughs) It, It definitely is. All right. Lead actor. We have Steve Carell in Foxcatcher. Bradley Cooper in American Sniper. Oh, come on, Kristen. Save all boos and applause until the end. <laughs> Benedict Cumberbatch in The Imitation Game. Michael Keaton in Birdman. And I'll pronounce the full title just like they did at the nominations. Birdman or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance, which they had to say nine times. Mm-hmm. And finally, Eddie Redmayne in The Theory of Everything. So your thoughts? I think that Eddie Redmayne is going to get it. And not just, really? because he got, not just because he got the Golden Globe. He got the Golden Globe. But also I think... I'm just getting a lot of buzz that I'm hearing from a lot of people. People are so amazed. This is a guy who had to play a role where 90% of the time he's on screen, he can only move really his eyebrow. Yeah, I I hear you. And I I think that that momentum is going to carry over into Oscars. That's interesting. Well, you seem to really disagree with me. I can tell by the look on your face. I'll say a couple things. One is... I was surprised to see Steve Carell in this category. Oh, I wasn't at all. I thought he would be in supporting, and and technically that's where he should be. He is not the lead actor in the film. He's not the protagonist of the film. So that surprised me, uh, and that's that's a good thing for him. I mean, it's you know that says that uh, they've got a lot of faith, and the studio's got a lot of faith in Steve Carell pushing for him in this category. I don't think it'll be Bradley Cooper. I don't think it will be Michael Keaton. I don't think, even though I would vote for him, I don't think it would be Eddie Redmayne. I still think it's going to be Benedict Cumberbatch. Interesting. The, that film Interesting. has done better at the box office. Benedict Cumberbatch, then it's done better at the box office than The Theory of Everything, I should say. If we're talking about the Battle of the British Scientist movies, <laughs> The Imitation Game has done better. It's gotten more traction. Benedict Cumberbatch is a bigger name. He's got a much bigger following. And I just, for some reason, um, even though I like The Theory of Everything better... I think the imitation game seems to have more traction and more popularity, and I think it'll go to Benedict Cumberbatch. Wow. That's my prediction. Wow. 
Okay. All right. Let's talk about film. All right. So we have, as you pointed out, Rayford, not the full roster of nominees we could have had. Yeah, just eight. Eight nominees this year. American Sniper, Birdman, or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance, Boyhood, The Grand Budapest Hotel, The Imitation Game, Selma, The Theory of Everything, and Whiplash. Good old Whiplash, man. Yeah, I'm so so excited about that. Stoked about Whiplash. Um, That said, what do you think is going to win Best Picture, Kristen? Boyhood. I just I don't think, think so there's too. a question in it. I, just I think, think so too. Boyhood is technically unlike anything else that's been made. I think it touched a lot of people in that, you know, in that part of themselves that they didn't think they were going to be that moved by a movie this year. And and also it's just, you know, gotten so much buzz around it. Yeah. And, and uh, when you have that kind of momentum, I don't think it's going to go away. Yeah, I think that's true. I think it's boyhood all the way. I think everyone knows that even though the film... I think kind of on the face of it looks sort of looks and feels kind of modest in a way. There's nothing really flashy or no, uh, no costumes, no, no sets, nothing right. fancy at all. Right. Nothing like that. So in a way, it, it, it looks like kind of a modest family drama with no real plot, not like not much happens, quote unquote. But I think people know that to undertake a 12 year project with the same cast like this and to keep that thing together and then and put it all together into one seamless beautiful film at the end is just it's like an unprecedented accomplishment and i think people are, know that one question i have is um how i think viewers your your average movie going viewer at home watching the television is going to react this is uh, apparently the lowest grossing group of best picture nominees in history oh wow so that you know, which I understand, right? Even Boy- more than when the Hurt Locker was out. Yeah, well, like well, six people in America saw the Hurt Locker. But that had a bunch of other films that were big, uh, popular films on this, yeah. right? Um, you know, here you've got Whiplash. It's a little film. Birdman, this kind of oddball Hollywood satire. Boyhood, you know, three and a half hour, two and a half hour, almost three hour film that you know no one has seen. Two British scientist movies. Two British scientist and, and then, movies. And then a historical drama about civil rights. So civil rights <laughs> and American Sniper. Surprisingly, even though I think that. It's a totally solid film with a, with a, no, a name it's director. Horrible. No, it's I don't think bad. that's true. I think it's a solid film. Uh, and you know, Bradley Cooper, big star, Clint Eastwood, big director. The film has not been a major hit uh, for some reason. Uh, because maybe, it's bad. Well, I think it might be more about Iraq War oh, fatigue. Yeah. America's but, not. We're not in a place where we want to watch this. We don't care for that stuff that much. It's true. Um, anyway, surprisingly, <laughs> not a lot of big movies on this list. So I'll be very curious to see how the Oscar ratings shape up this year. Yeah. And reminder to listeners, the uh, Oscar telecast is on February 22nd. And so uh, we have some time to see what will play out between now and then, how the buzz will be built up, how many more ads we'll see on TV. And also, Rafer and I are going to release an Oscar special where we interviewed quite a few of the nominees. Yes, we did. And we're going to release those interviews so all of you can hear what the nominees have to say. So shall we turn our attention, Kristen, to trivia? The most important part of every podcast. Always. Yes. Always. But of course. And a reminder to listeners... You can always call and write in with your trivia answers. We randomly select one from the pool every week that comes in. You can call us at 5717movies with your trivia answers, or you can answer on Facebook. You can just message us at facebook.com slash moviedatepodcast. 
What did we ask last week, Rafer? Last week for our sweatpants pick, we were talking about Mozart in the Jungle, a series about the CD underbelly, the dark side of classical music. Sex and drugs and classical oh, music. Oh, boy, those cellists. <laughs> um, and we decided to ask you about another film that showed the darker side of classical music. We came up with this clip. Rachmaninoff. Are you sure? Uh, kind of. I'm, I'm, I'm never really sure about anything, Mr. Parks. Rack three. It's monumental. It's a, it's a mountain. It's the uh, hardest place you could ever play. Well, no one's ever been mad enough to attempt the rack three. Am I mad enough, Professor? Am I? We asked you to name it, and we got this answer. Hey, guys, this is Sammy from Red Hook. I'm calling about the movie trivia. The answer is Shine with Jeffrey Rush. What a good movie. Thank you. Love the podcast. Great job, Sammy. We love your voice. Now, do you mean Red Hook, Brooklyn, or the, the New York town of Red Hook? Yeah, there's actually like a village of Red Hook or a city of Red Hook. It's very I'm cute. Guessing, I'm guessing. Based on your accent, Sammy, I'm saying Brooklyn. All right. Well, either way, we're just so glad you called, and we're hoping you're having a great day in Red Hook. We appreciate the call. And uh, for this week's trivia, going in a slightly different direction, we were talking about Paddington earlier, the new children's movie. And there have been so many bears in the movies over the years. Many, many, many bears. And we're going to play a clip of a movie where uh, bears factor into the storyline. Here's a clip. These bears can bite. They can kill. And if I am weak, I go down. I love them with all my heart. I will protect them. I will die for them. But I will not die at their claws and paws. I will fight. I will be strong. I'll be one of them. I will be the master. Those bears are so cuddly. Aww. Aww. Oh, so so cuddly, so loving. Well, what is that movie? Do you know what that movie is? If you do, you should message us at facebook.com slash moviedatepodcast. Or give us a call at 5717movies. <laughs>